The functional goal for unilateral transfemoral prosthesis users during ambulation is to restore proper biomechanics and minimize the compensatory actions caused by limb asymmetries. These goals can often lead to embedded design elements with the assumption that the prosthesis should look and move like the intact limb. However, an unconventional prosthetic limb design can transfer the focus from mimicking the skeletal structure to producing functional symmetry between the limbs. Hi everyone, I'd like to welcome you to episode 18 of ONP Research Insights presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetics. I'm Dr. Steve Gard, Editor-in-Chief for the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. We'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Spinal Technology. My guest today is Dr. John Desjardins, PhD. Dr. Desjardins is the Hambright Distinguished Professor of Engineering Leadership in Bioengineering at Clemson University. His research interests are in the areas of orthopedic biomechanics, sports and rehabilitation engineering, engineering education, and implant design. He is active in professional organizations, including the Academy, the Biomedical Engineering Society, the Orthopedic Research Society, and the American Society for Engineering Education. In his academic professional role, he directs the Bioengineering Senior Capstone Design Program and assists with the development of programs to engage students in leadership, innovation, and entrepreneurship. He also directs a bioengineering study abroad program in bioethics to Spain each summer and has a biotech startup company called Erevis Biotech that is developing non-invasive orthopedic sensors to detect bone healing and infection. Today, we will be discussing a recent article that Dr. Desjardins published in JPO entitled Development of a Length Actuated Lower Limb Prosthesis Functional Prototype and Pilot Study. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So I'm really interested in discussing your article, which I found intriguing, and I'd like to know right off the bat, why does this topic interest you? Well, we uh, were as excited, I think, as you were reading it to discover that we had a clinical colleague at a local institution here in upstate South Carolina who had actually developed this prosthesis and the idea for it in his garage. And he was brought to our attention by their patent office at the hospital and said, I should go check it out. He had already started a small clinical trial at his facility, and we were fascinated by it and quickly got into the conversation about how did he come up with this concept and how was he going about testing it and how could we use our engineering expertise to improve it. That got the conversation started and eventually led to this first publication. So to make it clear for the audience, you've developed a kneeless telescoping transfemoral prosthesis that provides appropriate leg length throughout both swing and stance phases of gait. Would you please describe the design and function of your prototype? Sure. Yeah, and to be clear, Dr. Alan Hippenspiel was the original designer of the original one that, that is highlighted in this particular article. But to be quite simple about it, the prosthesis in question is at the moment an above-the-knee prosthesis uh, that simply acts as a peg leg might work, but it just gets longer and shorter. And so the, the, the basic concept is, is that when you want to have your leg there, it should be a contacting the ground, and when you don't want your leg there, it should get short and get out of the way. That's what he'd come up with, and it's actually based off of some original work over 50 years ago. 
And that's what uh, we found him working with. And the complexities of that can be described here in just a little bit. So what was the purpose of your particular study? Yeah, the purpose really was as a functional prototype, as we found it, as he was using it, to determine whether or not it was doing what it was prescribed to do, which was to, to provide this lengthening and shortening aspect during walking and to get some feedback from some initial people with amputation. So what were your hypotheses or expectations for this study? Well, we had actually very few expectations other than to make sure that as a concept, it worked and, you know, that, that you could actually walk on it, that it would get out of its own way and that it could provide stance-based stability. So we entered into that with just a small cohort of two patients, and we were looking to get some patient-level feedback from them on this concept. So that they would walk on it and they would give us some hard feedback as to you know, whether this even made any sense. So would you please describe the experimental protocol for your study? Absolutely. So the prosthesis itself, as we uh, had initially designed it, was tethered, I guess you'd say. So it had a cable running off of it that was connected to a motor with a cam system. And those cams went round and round on the motor and ultimately lengthened and shortened this cable that went to the lengthening and shortening aspect of the prosthesis. And so with different speeds of the motor and with different cam designs, you could make the prosthesis get longer and shorter. And so in its existing form, we were to time that lengthening and shortening to the, the gait of the patient. And so uh, with a self-selected speed, we could increase or decrease the motor speed to make the prosthesis get longer and shorter. And eventually we come into sync with the patient walking on a treadmill. And so the initial protocol was simply to time up the lengthening and shortening aspect of the prosthesis with the user's gait, and then have them walk on that for a short period of time and determine quite honestly with a survey afterwards, how they thought it worked whether it worked well, whether they considered it a possibility for an ability to walk normally. Okay. And so what were the inclusion-exclusion criteria? So our inclusion criteria were, were really quite straightforward. We needed a unilateral transfemoral prosthesis user with no particular underlying health conditions that would inhibit their normal exercise or walking. So we wanted somebody that had a definitive prosthetic device that we could use in combination with the lengthening and shortening aspect that we would put underneath their socket. And we were looking for somebody with an activity level of, of K3 or higher. And that was pretty much it. And so what data did you collect during these experiments? We simply worked to get the user feedback from it. So we did the study. We did the lengthening and shortening. We had them walk on the treadmill. And then we collected user feedback after that. So we didn't collect any quantitative metrics of the function of the prosthesis itself. This was simply a pilot study to get user feedback on whether or not the device in its concept, they considered it functional or not. So we did administer a questionnaire after the fact. It was kind of an open-ended questionnaire that asked them about their current prosthetic use, the prototype, and the overall concept of the length-actuated prosthesis as they uh, saw it in the, in the lab. And so you mentioned that you enrolled two participants in the study. What were the demographics of those participants? We were able to recruit two patients to assist us in the evaluation of this prototype. They're both males, age 31 and 61, of average build between 5'10 and 6'2, and average weight uh, 153 and 170 pounds. 
The time since amputation uh, varied significantly, however, from six years to, to 43 years. And other than the both matching in the K3 level, they did use different prostheses. So really the only um, criteria for our, our selection was that they were able to, to ambulate well and were able to give us some good feedback on the device. So I'm just curious, because both of them were experienced prosthesis users, about how long did it take them to adapt to this new prosthesis? We didn't have a significant amount of time for them to adapt to it. There wasn't a, a long adaptation time for it. They were in the lab, they tested the device, and then they gave us feedback to it. And as I said, we didn't collect any quantitative metrics on the performance of the device itself either. And so... You know, we weren't able to evaluate whether or not it altered their gait mechanics or whether they provided any compensatory mechanisms as part of the prosthesis use. This wasn't really a prosthesis functional study. It really was more of a concept-based study to see if the prosthesis users could give us any feedback as to where we might go next in our implant design. So what were the primary findings from the survey? We were quite surprised by the findings of the survey. In general, they were quite excited about the idea that, that you could make a prosthesis completely different in concept and still be able to walk on it. I think the overall concept quite straightforward. I mean, the, the idea of, of having a stiff, straight leg that you could walk on, a, a peg leg of sorts, makes a lot of sense. But to be able to make it get longer and shorter opened up some new possibilities for them that they hadn't considered before. Some of those things are pretty straightforward. The idea of having a leg that gets shorter is really just that it gets out of its own way. When you go into swing, you don't have to worry about it hitting anything because it could get as short as it needs to be to get out of it, out of the way of, of any obstruction that you might come across or you know, just quite simply not having to stub your foot on the ground and, and the possibility of tripping. So they were quite excited about that. They did give us some, you know, real world feedback and, and said, hey, well, what about this idea of not having a knee anymore? You know, what's a knee for? And I might need to sit down. So this thing's going to need to, you know, bend in half or buckle or get significantly shorter at some point to accommodate the idea that you can't have your legs sticking out straight like a non-articulated peg leg might work. They were quite happy with the idea of it. They did give us some feedback that basically said, hey, this is going to have to come a long way. It's tethered to the, the motor over there for starters. So you're going to have to find a way to make it self-contained, have an embedded motor and battery pack system, for example. And, and the idea that it would be really helpful if it knew when to get longer and shorter all by itself. So the idea of incorporating some type of sensor system for it. But in the same respect, they also saw that if it had the ability to actually give them a little push off as well, that it could get longer and shorter. So why not incorporate that into the idea that it could be powered and power them a little bit more effectively? And this idea that would it be possible to do something like this that would enable you to go up and down stairs even, you know, how shorter and how much longer could it get? Uh, and so they, they were intrigued, I think, I guess would be the, um, the word. By, by the concept itself. And it went back to this idea that you introduced the, the paper by this idea of functional symmetry versus anatomical symmetry. You know, what is the leg supposed to do versus how does it do it? And those two questions are fundamentally different. That's kind of where we took this initial thing that we saw a, a clinician using 
and started to explore the, the mathematical and mechanical aspects of it in future work that we've performed. Let's take a quick break for a word from our episode sponsor, Spinal Technology. Spinal Technology is the global leader in the design and fabrication of spinal orthoses for the stabilization, immobilization, and correction of various abnormalities of the spine. For over 30 years, medical experts around the world have depended on our team of American board-certified orthotists, highly skilled technicians, and dedicated customer service experts for better outcomes and the highest quality of patient care. We take pride in sharing our knowledge through comprehensive training and activities. Visit spinaltech.com resources for all of our Scoliosis Awareness Month resources. So at the conclusion of the study, were your expectations supported or refuted, I guess? Our expectations for the study were to, first of all, engage the clinician with the prototype that he had designed. That was successful. That He was quite receptive to the idea of having some engineering expertise brought onto the project and to help him refine and advance the design. So we were able to get some additional seed funding and begin to ask the harder questions of how long in short should a prosthesis be able to get in this particular design? How do you incorporate sensors? How do you ensure that you have some method by which you can self-contain this thing and, and get it to a, a weight and power system that might actually work you know, as a self-contained device? So yeah, our, we were quite excited to move it forward. Now, you mentioned a while ago a couple of surprises in your findings. Were there any other unanticipated surprises? And if so, can you explain them? When we first saw this concept, I didn't know that somebody had already done this almost 50 years ago. And I thought it rather intriguing that even though the concept had been introduced 50 years ago, there wasn't something like this on the market. And so to me, I was surprised, first of all, to realize that somebody thought of this a long time ago and it had never been incorporated in a, a prosthesis that's on the market right now. From an engineering perspective, that asked the big question for me, why? You know, why, why is this either somebody said it's not going to work or why did somebody say it should work, but then it didn't? And uh, I really couldn't find an answer for that. And so from the surprise on the engineering side, that led us to, to four years of additional development to get to the could it really be done part of things. And so the, those surprises were really more on the why isn't this out there already? And, and why aren't more people taking advantage of this idea of, of making things longer and shorter in a leg, whether that's above the knee, below the knee and the ankle, you know, different aspects of a prosthesis have an ability to get longer and shorter now quite using existing engineering technology. And yet we still have ankles and knees, and we're trying to make a leg look and function exactly like another leg. Those continue to be my surprises in, in the work that we're doing. Well, I'm pleased you mentioned that earlier work. I've read those papers a number of years ago and several times by Dr. Rami Selictar. Yeah. And they developed a pneumatic system that was also tethered. In fact, they had to tether it to an air compressor to make the leg shorten and lengthen again. But I find that very intriguing work, and I'm glad that you revisited the concept, in essence, because I think technology has come a long way, and suddenly I think we're to the point to where we can cut the cord, so to speak, and develop yeah. an autonomous mechanism that can be self-contained and have people walk with it. 
So there may be something to this. It is continue to deserve further research attention, which begs my next question. So do you have any recommendations for future research directions based on this work? We've done a bit since this paper has been published already on the future work. And yes, there is much more work to be done. One of the first questions we had was the clinician had made up these uh, rotating discs that determine the lengthening and the shortening waveform, I guess, or, or the, the length that was to happen to the prosthesis over, over the walking cycle. So we wanted to digitize that. We wanted to make that a dynamic waveform that we could adjust and modify to the user's need and the timing. And so we, first of all, had the question, how long and short should something like this get? And so we look back in the literature there to determine dynamic leg length and what a leg should get longer and shorter too. And really the only thing we could find was stuff related to existing prosthesis designs. So if you think about the idea of how long and short your leg should get, you can draw lines from your hip to your ankle, from your hip to your toe, but in the end, you still got a knee and an ankle in between it. And we quickly came to the conclusion that there isn't any math out there right now that covers the thing that we put on the end of the patient. And so we had to completely redo all of that math, first of all, because if you have an above the knee amputee, everything is based on where your femur is. You can imagine if you had a straight line descending from your femur, it's radically different than a, a line descending from the end of your tibia because you got the knee there. So we had to redo all of that math and had some good work presented on that. And then we had to determine how long or short should something or could something get. Because now we have an ability to get longer and shorter, you know, just with the programming of a motor. So there's technology out there that can fully understand where the topography of the ground is in front of you and get out of whatever it is, whether it be a curb or a, a small crack in the pavement. And so our ability to make it longer and shorter was not just at the need of the user, but at the need of the environment as well. So now we get into some pretty advanced robotics. And of course, you have the dynamic aspect of the, the leg swinging underneath you as well. And you can't retrain a person very easily to understand that they don't need to hike their limb anymore. You know, you don't need to, to move because it's going to get out of its own way. Even if you're thinking you need to, it gets out of its own way. So it was really hard to get people to get comfortable with the idea that the technology is going to take care of itself. And I think we're seeing that in, in prosthesis use now. You have to retrain just the idea that the leg is smarter than you. And so even though this leg that we were testing was getting out of its own way, people were still hiking their leg up further than they needed to. And that's going to take some time to get used to the technology itself. So we have since made uh, an onboard power system, gotten a motor system and a linear drive system working. Other than the instrumentation aspect of collecting data from it, we have an ability now, we have the technology now to make this a completely onboard system with a battery and all of that, that can take care of itself. The instrumentation, the, the sensor aspect can be advanced further. Uh, and we've been in talk with companies that, uh, as potential, you know, making this into an actual product. Very nice. I'll be anxious to see where this goes in the future. But I think it's very interesting work, and I'm pleased that we have engineers like you working on it. We're very excited. The initial concept that we worked on wasn't above the knee straight prosthesis, but an ability, I think, for patients to even lengthen and shorten 
they're above the knee component or they're below the knee component or even their foot length. Imagine being able to adjust your foot length and how that opens up questions that, that I don't even know how to ask in terms of how you go about walking. The whole idea of getting longer and shorter, it's completely foreign to us in our anatomy. We're always thinking about how to you know, move joints. But as soon as you can get things longer and shorter, you can decrease moment arms, you can decrease moments of inertia, you can increase propulsive elements. And it's just something that hasn't been explored yet. And we're constantly think going back to thinking about joints and musculature and power across joints and such. And this is just a completely different way to think about what's going on underneath you moves you forward. Exactly. Thinking outside the box, getting away from trying to mimic the anatomy and provide improved function as a result. Yeah. I think back to a couple of pictures uh, in the movies where people have stuff going on underneath them and they're just gliding or floating and you have no, you know, just don't look down, you know, you're going to get from point A to point B and you don't even need to know what the magic is underneath you. Those things can become quite fascinating to think about them. Well, we have a number of clinicians, practitioners listening to this podcast. So I'm curious to know, John, what are the main clinical takeaways from your study? I think one of the primary clinical takeaways from the study is this idea that, well, first of all, you know, different prostheses are absolutely made for different functional levels of the prosthesis user. You as a clinician pick the prosthesis based on the ambulatory level of your user. If you start to think about their functional needs and you pick a prosthesis for it, this is just another class of that type of thought. And I'm hoping that as we get to more functional prosthesis, I guess you'd say, that there become just a larger selection from you to consider this idea that we've kind of taken a peg leg and made it into something that, you know, now has a functional aspect to it. I'd challenge clinicians to kind of think about what the functional needs of the person are and, and maybe think of their own cool and new and unique solutions to the way that we're currently prescribing prosthesis for our patients. That's a good recommendation. And finally, I'd like to conclude with the uh, a question. Is there any funding that you would like to acknowledge that was required to conduct this study? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. We were able to get some initial seed funding from our hospital institution, uh, Prisma Health. They have a seed grant uh, mechanism that enables clinicians to move technologies forward or ideas related to, to human health. And that was the impetus for our partnership uh, with our hospital system between Clemson University and Prisma Health. So the Prisma C grant was instrumental in, in getting some of this work done and providing us with an ability to actually make a second generation prototype. Very nice. What good investment. Yes, very much so. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate you meeting with me today and discussing your research. We've come to the end of our podcast, so I'd like to thank Dr. Desjardins for sharing his insights and discussing his research with us today. I'd like to remind everyone that if you would like additional information on this project, you can access the full article about this study in the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of ONP Research Insights, presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetists. And again, we'd like to extend a special thank you to our episode sponsor, Spinal Technology. For more information, be sure to visit their website at spinaltech.com. 
And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Please plan to join us again next month for the Academy's ONP Research Insights podcast, where we'll be hosting another author and discussing their recent JPO article. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for ONP professionals. ONP Clinical Insiders, a podcast created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care, and ONP Rising, a podcast created for emerging professionals in our industry.